millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is the brand new movie, Prey, which has just come out on Disney+, Plus, but I believe was released in a few cinemas. There was an opportunity to see it on the big screen in a few places, and... It is a fascinating thing to talk about, and this allows me to talk about, well, films that go back more than 40 years, two of the hottest stars of the 1980s, and also about the genocide of First Nations people in America. This is just such a big subject on such a strange film, but fundamentally, I get to talk about one of my favorite 80s films, that perfect slice of action, perfection, Predator. This is getting better than a minute. So, boy, have we got a lot to pack into this one. And if you haven't seen Prey, I'm telling you right now, this is obviously not a review of Prey, but if you like Predator, good news. You've had to wait since 1987, but this is the second best Predator movie out there. So let's get into this. Oh, I, I just can't wait on this one. I'm so excited. So I said I'd start back over 40 years, and that's where I'm going to go. In 1976, there was a movie called Rocky. I'm pretty sure you've all heard about it. I've even done an episode on Rocky. And by the way, this is the second time I'm talking about Predator because I did one about the Vietnam War and various metaphors about it. More on that later, but we'll, we'll get there. So the thing a lot of people forget about the Rocky franchise is it started off very serious. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Stallone wrote the screenplay for it. He ended up getting less money for it than he wanted to because he wanted to play the title role. Sylvester Stallone himself is a bodybuilder and actor. He actually suffered a stroke at a young age which led to him carrying out this bodybuilding it wasn't through vanity it was through necessity it's why he has that droopy mouth that's because of a stroke that happened sort of 60 years ago to to the man so you know he, he is a very impressive individual but because he played this big dumb bruiser people tend to think he is dumb himself no he isn't he's a very accomplished director as well so the point is this he's never been a boxer but the 
Life of Rocky in many ways has mirrored Stallone's life. This was his last chance at getting some Hollywood success, just as this is a chance for Rocky Balboa to have a shot at the title, and it worked out pretty well for both of them. The second movie is basically the fleeting nature of success, which was important to Stallone because he realized after Rocky did a number of other movies that just didn't land until Rocky II came out. So. Everyone kind of had forgotten about him until the next one comes out. And then the third film came out, and this was kind of about legacy, and also how success can lead to laziness as well. You can see this in Stallone's career, and you can see how this was quite clever. So the original idea, well, the very first Rocky was meant to be one and done, but there was such appetite for it that Stallone wanted to create this trilogy of movies, which is a bit odd because there's been eight of them at the moment, and obviously moving into the Creed films, but anyway... After three, he's done. But by then, Stallone was such an icon of Americanness, it led to him doing Rocky IV, which it's really interesting, Rocky IV, because they ended up having a completely new edit of it that came out in 2021. And the original version that came out in the mid 80s is as American as apple pie, and it's doing more for the Cold War effort for America's side than probably the Rambo movies or even the original Top Gun. And it's it's got a soft spot in America, and if you want to see, it's probably the most 80s film you're going to see if you want to see the original Rocky IV, but it hasn't aged very well. And so Stallone went back into the editing suite because he directed it and he actually created a new version of it that came out in 2021. Really silly 80s stuff like the, and I'm not making this up, there's a whole subplot about a robot that is sort of like the servant and sort of becomes a bit sexy for his brother-in-law, Paulie. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. It's a nice song. It's my favourite. You're the greatest. That was just cheesy stuff from the 80s and all of the robot stuff has been cut out in the in the re-edit it's it's a more serious film it's still a very 80s film it's got perhaps the best bits of the movie are absolutely still there and present but actually it's sort of taken it back a bit and it's definitely a better cut in my opinion it's more true to the origins of rocky but the whole point of it was it was this huge razzmatazz and you've literally got james brown singing living in america and it is just this flag waving confidence of america in the 1980s in the height of the cold war and so the joke was after he's done this trilogy about him being a boxer and now he's won the cold war basically punching the soviet union in the face for peace the joke was the only thing left to do was for Rocky to fight an alien. Now that didn't happen, but that idea was the starting point of Predator. So Predator has a dotted line back to the Rocky franchise. And then in 1987, we get the Schwarzenegger starring movie directed by John McTiernan. Get this, he did Predator, then he did Die Hard, then he did The Hunt for Red October. That is an amazing run of really good sort of action thrillers. If you want subtlety, it ain't there, okay? But this is the thing. I always want to judge a movie or TV series not for what I want, but what's it trying to do. I don't like it when people say there isn't enough character development in something like Predator or Lethal Weapon, because that's not the point of them. That would be the same irrelevant criticism as saying, do you know what, the problem with Pride and Prejudice is there aren't enough car chases in it. 
I thought you were in London. No. No, I'm not. No. no we wouldn't have to come here. I'm in some business with my steward. I'm in Devonshire with my aunt and uncle. And now you're having a pleasant trip. Very pleasant. Yeah, of course there aren't. That's not what you're going for in Pride and Prejudice. So, Predator, I'm going to argue, is a perfect action movie. For starters, it's all filmed in a jungle. If they'd set it in, and, and this is some of the problems of some of The Rocks. The Rock loves being in jungle movies, and a lot of them, like Jumanji and some of the other films, are just welcome to the jungle. There are so many rock jungle orientated movies, I'm not going to give you a full list, but I, I encourage you to look at his filmography and go, is this something he's demanding as part of his sort of bonus it's like there must be a jungle scene he's even done a movie called literally jungle cruise okay anyway problem with most of those is they're not filmed in a jungle and you can tell there is just no substitute to filming on location something we'll be coming back to with prey don't worry i will be getting to prey but the thing about the original predator is you can talk about how rambo first blood part two is muscle bound, but this wins. This is the most literally muscular movie you'll ever see. It has the most macho handshake in history, in filmic history. Now, sadly, I don't know. I mean, the thing about a, a handshake is I don't know if Greg can put in the sound effects of it, but it is a very slappy, muscly, sweaty handshake. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? Had enough? Make it easy on yourself, Dutch. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You never did know when to quit, huh? But it is a GIF if you want to sort of check that out. If you just want to type in Predator Handshake, then you'll see it and it's, wow, what a handshake it is. Us beta males can only dream of shaking hands in such a muscular manner. And so it is macho testosterone baloney but it's extremely well directed very tight knowing what it is and as i said in the vietnam one it doesn't take a genius to work out that there is a bit of a metaphor about vietnam these commandos what's clever about predator is it strictly follows the screenwriting codes of, sort of having three acts and so the first act is all about getting them in the jungle and showing as they destroy a rebel base how good how effective these men are these are a high precision elite squad of soldiers and they absolutely trash the competition so we know they're good so when they start being killed off by this invisible predator alien then you know that they're in trouble because if they're the best out there and they are being picked off as easily as they picked off these rebels then they're in big trouble. And also, towards the end, in the third act, you see that there's a great bit when they're hand-to-hand, -hand, and it's just now Schwarzenegger versus the Predator, and Schwarzenegger is a big guy, you know? He's well over six foot, he's won Mr. Universe seven times, he is a big guy. And so when the Predator picks Schwarzenegger up with one arm, and you see Schwarzenegger's legs dangling below, you realize that you know, even Schwarzenegger, with his huge physical presence, is not going to win through brute strength alone. And it is perfect. Cat and mouse, action, macho. It's, it's just 
what you see is what you get. It is the single best movie about a bunch of commandos in a jungle being hunted by an alien. And Schwarzenegger has never been finer with his off-the-cuff remarks, some of which we can play on this podcast, some of which we can't. Knock, knock. It's just great. And going back to my nephew that I, I mentioned a while back, I did sort of a, a run of movies with him. About a year ago, I showed him Predator for the first time and he absolutely loved it. Never seen an action film like it before. So yeah, it, it even works to the new generation out there today. Because it was a hit, there was going to be another movie. And so Predator 2 came out a few years later. And when it comes to Schwarzenegger, he doesn't tend to do a lot of sequels. He knows that he's got to sort of broaden his repertoire, his rather limited repertoire. And so he didn't come back for Predator 2. Instead, let's go to Lethal Weapon, shall we? And let's get Danny Glover to play a police officer in L.A. And he's fighting a Predator in L.A. Only, as we knew at the end of Predator, if a Predator is cornered, it can set off a small nuclear device, which in L.A., that's going to be a problem. And at the end of Predator 2, there is a scene where Danny Glover actually gets into the Predator spaceship. There's a fight, and then more Predators arrive, but because he has won, two critical things happened in that spaceship at the end of this rather bad sequel. I'm gonna put that out there. It is nowhere near as good as the first one. It's also very loud. People don't talk their dialogue. It's pretty much everybody is shouting at everybody else at every available opportunity. And there are so many swear words and it's completely unnecessary. It's all right, I'm a cop. <laughs> I don't think he gives it. It's okay. It, I, I'm, I'm gonna say it's a two and a half out of five. It, it's, it's fine, it's solid. It adds to the mythology a bit, but it's the original Predator is so much better than it. But anyway, two critical things happen. One, Danny Glover sees this sort of trophy cabinet, all these sort of like weird skulls, and there's a human skull there, but in the corner, there's clearly a xenomorph skull, one of the aliens from Alien Skulls. Like, oh, the Predators have been hunting aliens. And that led to two movies that are not considered in the canon of either species movies, Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Alien vs. Predator is fine. It's okay. Dialogue's terrible. The action beats are pretty good, and it's sort of a very clever way of sort of integrating these two different franchises together. Aliens vs. Predator Requiem is one of the single worst and most distasteful movies ever. Don't bother. It bombed at the box office, for the record. But the other thing that happens is that one of the Predators, this sort of like older alpha Predator, hands Danny Glover a little musket, a flintlock pistol, and written on the side of it is a date from the 1700s, showing that the Predators have been coming to Earth for centuries. And so these two things have been picked up on various Predator sequels, prequels, etc. What has any of this got to do with Prey? Well, Prey is the fifth movie in the Predator franchise, excluding the Alien vs. Predator movies. See, it gets complicated. And so Prey is set in 1719 in North America, and it's about a Comanche tribe that are having to deal with a Predator. So you can see how it's very different and yet very referential to the other Predator movies. If it bleeds, we can kill it. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Now, for the record, I think I've mentioned all of them except 
the other two sequels. There was Robert Rodriguez, great action director. He did one called Predators, plural, you see. And that's fine. It's kind of a retread of the first one. They're sort of in a jungle, and it's okay. It's perhaps better than Predator 2. It's a little less shouty and just pauses for breath a bit more. But it doesn't really add anything to it. And then there is The Predator, which is directed and written by Shane Black, which is atrocious. I don't mean to be unkind, but awful. I remember sitting in the cinema going, you know, come on, Shane Black, this is the guy who wrote Lethal Weapon. See all the connections here? Shane Black was, was the first man in the commando group to be killed in Predator. He's clearly nowhere near as muscular as anybody else, and he was actually there as a screenwriting doctor. You know, on site, there in the jungle, he could perhaps edit the, the screenplay a little bit. He's uncredited there as screenwriter. He wasn't the main screenwriter. But he's now got a chance to sort of like go back to it. And he's done some other amazing movies like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3. And it's just awful. It's just terrible, terrible movie. It, it, it's, I don't know what he was on at the time, but it's a mess. Please, again, don't waste your time with The Predator. It's an awful, awful film. So by the time we get to number five in this franchise, where there's really only been one good one, and some notable directors have had a shot at this, you're sitting there thinking, is there anything left to be done? And I think one of the reasons why I ended up going on to Disney Plus or Hulu in America is because there was a concern that if they launched yet another Predator movie in the cinema, is anybody going to go and see it? Because it went from being a popular franchise to you could just you can track the numbers. They just go down and down and down. Now, this movie wasn't particularly expensive. It actually cost less money than The Predator. But after all this sort of pop bubblegum I've just been mentioning, after all this sort of silliness and 80s excess, there was no reason from this source material to create something this culturally sensitive to a, an American minority, to spend this much care and attention to filming on location. And yet what we get is the second best Predator movie. If you want to argue that it's potentially even better than the first one, it's actually quite a different film from the first one, then I, I hear you. There's that conversation to be had. But yeah, that, what an amazing, remarkable achievement for something that's gone straight to streaming that is this good. And I'm telling you right now, if you've got Disney Plus or Hulu, Sit down and watch it now. It's a tight hour and 40 minutes, and that includes the titles and all that kind of stuff. It does the job. It's incredible. So this is directed by Dan Trashenberg, who, yeah, you, you haven't heard of him before. He's considered a very competent director. He directed the highly regarded and little seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he's been involved with The Boys TV series and he's done a bit of Black Mirror on Netflix. So you can see he's got involved in some good stuff, but yeah, he's not exactly household name like Steven Spielberg or even John McTiernan. But yeah, he knows, he knows how to create a tight atmospheric movie, and he really goes for this. And then what's amazing is that every one of these Comanches in this story is actually played by a Native American or First Nations person. And the key person here is Amber Midthunder, who plays Naru. And she is a woman in the Comanche tribe, and they do point out how women were not meant to be warriors, but she wants to be a warrior. Why do you want to hunt? 
because you all think that I can't. In the modern world, if you like, the, one of the problems with Predator is we have an alpha white man beating the alien, okay? And, and that's nowadays, I mean, thank God for Carl Weathers, who again, let's go back to... Let's go back to Rocky, shall we? Apollo Creed is in Predator and gets killed by a Predator, and he's great, and he's the other half of the extremely macho handshake. But we do have a bit of cultural identity going on there. The other key person in the original group of commandos is Billy. <laughs> Fun thing about Billy is the actor himself was so kind of... How can I put this without getting sued? Allegedly, he looked for trouble so much and he was such a big guy. He actually had a bodyguard on set. Not to protect him from other people, but to protect other people from him because he, he liked to pick a fight. And he's sort of like this almost semi-mythical tracker in this, you know, playing into some of the tropes about Native Americans. But there is representation of other peoples in the original Predator, but it really is a sausage fest. There is one female in it, but she's one of the captured rebels who explains a little bit about, you know, only in the hottest seasons does this creature come out of the jungle and start skinning men alive and all that kind of stuff. This year it grows hot. And yeah, she's in it. You couldn't care less about her. Instead, you know, it's all about the guys. And, and so nowadays, although, like I say, there is actually an ethnic mix with the guys in Predator, the reality is it's all a bit... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
to macho. And so you fix a lot of these problems simply by having a female Native American warrior being the main protagonist against the predator in prey. Instantly, it's sort of it's more inclusive, it's more thoughtful. And also what they do in the first part of the movie is they show that Yes, she's a woman, and she isn't as physically as strong as the guy. So she's a bit of an underdog in her own tribe. But now she's got to face something that we already know can beat somebody with a semi-automatic weapon. Or indeed, the minigun. Old Painless from the original Predator. So let's talk about Prey. I've sort of given it the preamble. I'm now going to lead into this movie. And this absolutely, you can say, well, if it's set in 1719 and it's about the Comanche tribe, then there's clearly history there. And what is remarkable is the attention and care they give to this. A huge amount of conversation was made about the 1990 movie Dances with Wolves and how their entire bits of dialogue in Native American languages and, you know, really showing that the culture of these people, and I'm saying culture almost with a capital C here, rather than if you think about your average Western, particularly from the 1950s and 1960s, the Native Americans were obviously called Indians and they were savages. And sometimes they were even played by white people with basically tanning lotion on their skin. It's just all kinds of bad. It's, it's basically blackface in essence. There is a lot of problematic Westerns out there. So if you like, Dances with Wolves completely changed the conversation with that. And a few years later, we have Last of the Mohicans, which I've done a whole episode on if you want to listen to that one, where again, it's showing you Native American culture. And in a way, this is another movie which is showing, do you know what, these people are more civilized than the white men running around in the forests of North America. The other thing that I'm going to say right now is that I've been looking at the ethnic split of America. This is partly to do with a book project I'm working on at the moment. Actually, at the time of recording, about three days ago, this book that I wrote last November that I think is the most commercial idea I've come up with, I couldn't get a sign-off from my usual publisher. And I then went to a whole bunch of other publishers to try and get, get them interested, showing that, look at these other books I've had published, and this one should be more popular than any of those. I just kept getting no's and getting no. Very polite no's. I don't mean to be unkind, but awful. People were interested and gave it a thought. Of, eh, it's just basically because nobody had asked for it. It's not on their list of requirements. And therefore, I've got to be better than what's already on their list. And I just wasn't getting anywhere. But I finally got agreement with an American publisher. But that changed the tone a little bit, which is why I've been looking at the ethnic makeup of America, because I want that to kind of be reflected in the book. I'm not going to go into any more details when the book comes out, although the deal's been signed in 2022. So the book was written in 2021, deal was signed in 22, books coming out in 23. So when it does come out, I will tell you all about it and give you the full background. But I'd like you to just think for a moment, okay? So obviously the total population of America is 100%. So I'm curious, what do you think the percentage of African-American people, mixed-race and African-American peoples are, according to official statistics in America, what do you think the percentage is? Obviously it's not going to be 100%, it's not going to be 1%. So what do you, where do you think that is? Okay, you might want to pause this, write it down, don't cheat and listen to it and go, oh yeah, I knew that. 
because I was very surprised to find out that it's 12.5%. That doesn't feel right, and the reason for that is because African Americans have been excluded from the media for so very, very long that there is a rebalancing now, and so that you sometimes get TV shows where 40% of the people in the show are African American. You might say, well, that's disproportionate, and technically, yeah, it is, but if you want to add it up with all the other TV shows that there have ever been, we're still not at 12.5%, so I can understand why they're, in essence, making up for lost time. Now, question for you is, what is the percentage of the US population that's Native American or First Nations peoples, okay? So people who are Comanches, Apaches, etc. What do you think? And the answer is 1%. If we go back 500 years, then the total percentage of people in North America who are Native American First Nation peoples is 100%. So if you're one of these people saying, well, the settlers didn't carry out genocide, if you go from 100% to 1%, bad things happened. You can call them what you want bad things happen to that population. And what's interesting is in Prey, and this is the thing that really caught my attention, where I went, this clearly is better than it has any right to be, is in America, there are two versions of this movie. In the version that I saw in, in, in Britain, it's largely spoken in English, and I've heard a few people saying it's a little bit distracting hearing these people talk in American accents. It's like, well, what accent is it meant to be then, okay? If they were trying to do it in, like, Shakespearean received pronunciation, that'd be just as wrong. Clearly, Comanches in 1719 weren't speaking English, but we all speak English nowadays, so come on. Well, not all of us, but you get, you get what I mean. So that's why, out of necessity, 20th Century Fox is going to film the film in English. But occasionally there's little comments in Comanche. But they filmed this film back to back. Basically, they would shoot the scene in English, and then they would shoot the same scene in Comanche. There is a cut of this movie where there is no English in it whatsoever. Everybody is speaking Comanche, and there are no subtitles. Now, I will laud that 10 out of 10 again for, like, cultural sensibilities. If you want to start arguing the finances, you extended the filming time for... A group of people who are 1% of the population, and for the record, Native American is not the same thing as they're all Comanche. These languages are distinct and different, so far less than 1% of America's population would be able to watch this without any kind of subtitles. But that's not really the point, is it? We've now got used to, as I made a comment during RRR's episode and a few others, things like Netflix has got us used to watching stuff in different languages. And Predator, to be honest, is a type of story where we don't really need subtitles. The first half of the film of Prey is sort of setting things up. The second half is Naru versus the Predator. And just like in the original Predator, the final act is largely without dialogue. Schwarzenegger is now on his own in the jungle and he sort of covering himself in mud, and you, everything is shown visually. There's a few comments, but you don't need to know the language to understand what's going on there. Similarly, in the first half of Prey, now like I said, I've seen it in English, but there's a scene where they're hunting a mountain lion, 
and it doesn't go according to plan for Naru, and she has to be saved. So you can see that there's a conversation between her and Tarbe, played by Dakota Beavers, who's kind of like the the main warrior. He is this sort of like the the war band leader and and sort of like the the leader of the hunters. And they're having a conversation where he's basically saying, "You tried, but you didn't you didn't bring it home." That's literally what he says in in the movie. You tried it, you just you couldn't bring it home. And I imagine that if this was in Comanche. I'd get the gist. I wouldn't get you know, word for word what they mean, but this is clearly a conversation between the two of them where she still wants to go out and hunt, and he's saying, no, you're not ready. This is the thing. There is this wonderful Dr. Morabian in the 1960s came up with this communications chart. Again, percentage game for you guys. I think I might have put this on a, a podcast before. I can't swear to that, though. But basically, Dr. Morabian in Berkeley University he basically said, if you're sitting in a room with somebody, there are three ways we pick up communication between human beings. And those three things are body language, what you look like, how you're acting, tone of voice, the emphasis and the modulation of your voice, and the words coming out of your mouth. So if all three of those add up to 100%, what percentage would you give each one of those? Body language, tone and words. So I'd like you to have a little fiddle again, perhaps put the podcast on pause. If you think they're all equally important, write down 33% next to each one. I know that doesn't quite add up to 100, but take my point. Maybe you think one's more important. What percentage or emphasis would you put on it? By the way, this is something that I teach day to day. Literally at the time of recording in three days time, I'm going to be running through this with a room full of professionals and then getting them to explore this in various exercises. I'm giving you this stuff for free, people, on the podcast. So... There are these three areas, and the splits are 55% body language, 38% tone, 7% words. So, so that means that 90% of what you're saying ain't coming out of your mouth. Going back to Prey, could I tell exactly what everybody means in Comanche, word for word, no? But through their body language and tone and intonation, I absolutely get what's going on. I can tell if they're angry. I can tell if they're scared. I can tell if they're about to kiss or something like that. Because human beings have so much more going on between them than just the words coming out of their mouths. And something like the Predator series, which is so physical, that fits quite well. So doing the whole thing in Comanche is just incredibly respectful to Native Americans and also is just a really interesting exercise. If people want to talk about historical accuracy in movies, then this makes it more historically accurate. I was sitting there watching it with my wife, and she's going, this is a bit naff, isn't it? This is a bit rubbish. And I went, what are you comparing it to? Because if you're comparing it to Shakespeare, you're right. But the original Predator isn't in held in high regard as Shakespeare's Hamlet, okay? So to go from the muscle-bound anarchy of Predator from 1987 to 2022's Prey, where we've got a sensitive portrayal of a female protagonist, we've got a sensitive portrayal of uh, Native Americans who have been, I'm going to say it, who's have had genocide co committed against them, who have been marginalized by American society for centuries, this is importance that didn't need to be put into a story about an invisible alien hunting people, human beings down, but was put in there 
and makes it all the better for it. When people want to talk about unnecessary wokeness and things like that, that exists. There are some times when I've heard people say, oh, this is such a great movie because it's representative of X or Y. It's like, no, a movie's good or bad. It doesn't get better or worse because of representation. And indeed, if the best thing you can say about the movie is it's representative, it probably tells you it's not a very good movie in the first place, okay? But this is an example where it's well acted, it's well directed, but the representation does add an extra layer to it, an extra dimension. It does make it worthier. But if it was, <laughs> if the whole of Predator 2, no, no, let's go to the worst one, shall we? If we go to The Predator, if the whole of that had been filmed in in Comanche for some reason, let's just say it, it lands in a modern-day Comanche range, and it was all filmed, that would not have made that film any better. It would still be an unholy mess of a film that everyone would have sat there and gone, ugh. But, of course, we are dealing with a culture that is basically using Stone Age technology, and they do brilliant jobs. There, there have been clearly anthropologists and ethnographic experts that have been on the set of Prey. And there's this beautiful leaf core axe head that she's got on her tomahawk. And look, I'm going to make things... Congratulations, everybody. I've not only given you some expert advice on, like, human communication, but I'm now going to make you an expert in Stone Age technology, because good news, there are only two types of Stone Age tools. Flake and core. That's it. That's all you have to remember. Flake and core. So what you do is you get a rock. And if you chip a bit of that rock off, that's a flake tool. A flake, an example of a flake tool, it's obviously very light and small. So arrowheads, stone arrowheads are flake tools. Got it? And obviously just chip away and chip away and chip away and get it into vaguely the shape of an arrowhead or triangular. And then you can fire it off. Now, if you keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and then you work around the middle of the, the block of stone into something larger, like an axe head, for example, that is the core of the rock, hence it is a core tool. So you see Naru using both core and flake stone technology in the movie. And they are beautifully flintknapped. There is a real skill to flintknapping. That's the sort of chipping away and turning it into a nice shape. It takes a lot of practice and effort. I think I've mentioned this once before, where I literally have a degree in archaeology and I had to do some anthropological stuff in the, in the degree. And literally we had a double lesson in a laboratory wearing lab coats, wearing safety goggles, doing flintknapping, banging two rocks together. And I was standing there thinking, I'm getting a degree banging two rocks together. But the expert at the front showing us the flint napping slipped and shows you how sharp freshly napped flint is. He sliced his hand open and had to go to hospital. So yeah, so you get this sort of understanding of this sort of flint technology, the culture of the Comanches, the language of the Comanches, and even things like the the war paint is all authentic and we would guess that things like that would have happened in something like the Neolithic in Europe. We obviously don't have the evidence. Something like painted bodies just isn't going to be preserved for 4,000 years, so we're, we're never going to know for sure. But the, the point here is that it does show you how a culture without metals, also like things like the Mesolithic era, before we started inventing towns, the thing that we... we famously about Native Americans is they live in basically tent structures and move around 
the landscape following the food or according to seasons going to the areas where there is more bountiful supplies that's exactly how our ancestors lived in europe and were able to see it and there are glimpses not so much of white people but of the impact of white people on the area there's a moment where Nehru comes out to a field and the predator tends to skin its prey and what you see here is a whole field of bison the buffalo and they've all been skinned, but they're still lying there with their meat exposed, etc. And we know this isn't the predator. This is the white man who values the pelt of the bisons, but doesn't want the meat or anything like that. Whereas Native American practices, absolutely, they hunted and they did change the environment around them because they were doing things like sort of sculpting the forest and so on and so forth to their own benefit. They didn't have a zero impact on the environment. They just sculpted it towards their own uses which is even more clever i'm going to argue but if they did kill a bison they'd use all of it they'd use the horns for something like a torch or you can actually obviously most people know that you can pound down bone and turn it into a glue so the you know the bones would be used the meat would be consumed the pelts would be used so the whole thing would be used up and it's just a sign of the inefficiency of these white hunters all subtly hinted at without overtly going into it because this is a story about Nauru versus a predator and not about the infringement of the white man on their territories. So this is a remarkable movie. You should not be expecting this much history in a predator movie, but it's there without it screaming in your face or shoving it down your throat or stopping the story so that you have to get a history lesson. This is the perfect way to explain a bit of history through stealth. You're going to get a little bit smarter without trying at all, which again means that Prey is easily one of the best predator movies out there. It is also thrilling. I'm going to say it takes a while. Like I say, the first half is all set up, whereas in the first Predator, it's, it gets into the action pretty quickly. But it absolutely, the second half is a roller coaster ride. So please check it out. If you do have Disney Plus or Hulu, look, it's less than two hours of your life, and I'm going to say you're going to really enjoy it, and you're going to learn something. And I'm going to say that Amber Midthunder, the, the, the central antagonist, uh, protagonist, I should say, of this movie, She's somebody to watch out for. This is a bit of a career-making role, and let's hope that she gets some really something as interesting, something as meaty as this moving forwards. And and I don't want any of these actors to be marginalised as only playing Native Americans in basically stories about the Wild West. There's absolutely a place for them to play anything they want to be: doctor, detective. Master Sergeant in Iraq, whatever you, whatever you need this person to be, they can be it. Don't marginalize people or typecast people because of their ethnicity. That is not a good idea. So, love to get your thoughts on this. As always, I'm at GemDaduchu on Twitter. Feel free to say hi to me. Please do click subscribe. If you like this one, give us a review, please. I haven't seen that many reviews come up, and it'd be really useful if you could do that and on whatever podcast format you're listening to this on. Thank you. And also, tell a friend. I mean, look, feel free to retweet. Oh, I mentioned my Twitter account every Tuesday. I pour, pour out stuff about, hey, look, there's this, here's a new episode. This is the topic. Feel free to retweet that if you want to. But also, 
actually physically tell a friend, say, I'm enjoying this podcast. I think you will too. Hey, we were planning to see the Prey thing. This is not exactly a review, review this slightly different angle. Have a listen to this. And so, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this one. And as always, another podcast coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.